Hi, welcome to the show. How about you introduce yourself? All right. Um, my name is Rob Leach. I am the uh, co-founder of Indie Voyage, a indie game publisher, um, and we've been around for just over two years, two, uh, close to two and a half, and we've published one game, Reassembly, which has been out for one and a half years, and currently publishing two others, Zavix Tower and Venture Forth. Okay. So what, what inspired you to get into publishing indie games? Um... <clears throat> It's really more of a, uh, like I've been, again, I've been in the, the industry for over 14 years now, and, you know, uh, working on all these titles from a professional standpoint, and, uh, again, I've only done a little bit of console, but I've done a lot of uh, smaller mobile titles and online titles. Um, I like playing games. That's, of course, what got me into the business. And you work on enough of these titles, it's not as satisfying as the games that you grew up playing uh, and that you've loved throughout your life. Um, like myself, um, I'm a Steam gamer, PC gamer, and I, I focus on a lot of indie games and um, tend to play those more than others. And um, when I met my uh, current business partner, we kind of gelled on that fact and decided, you know what, let's use my background and his background to help developers make games in this increasingly competitive space. Uh, so that's, that's what, where Indie Voyage came from. And, and are there any specific types of indie games that you focus on or did you have a preference for? I mean, it sounds like you're more into kind of the nostalgic type of gameplay versus some of the newer type of things. Or what, what's your, um, I guess, what's your focus? Um, my focus has been, oddly, I think the the three that we're working on do harken back a little bit. They do have a bit of a um, an older feel. Um, I do like being very progressive on things like adventure games. Uh, yeah. So if if and when we're able to get some adventure games under our belt, I would love to move to as modern as possible. But I've I do uh, appreciate like Reassembly, for example, is a vector based game. So just the look of it calls back like 30 years ago. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, and the thing is, though, it's like, do you feel that that market where, cause, cause it seems like there's this, there was this huge, and I don't know if it still is, cause it's not, it's not a market that I'm familiar, familiar with. And maybe you can share some insight on it, but it seemed like it was something where a lot of, there were a lot of players who were hungry for those retro type of games. And, and that niche has been filled. And, and it's getting filled, and, and it's still continuing, it seems. But how do you, you know, focusing on that, there are publishers that are doing that. And then I was just looking at, I don't know if you've heard of YouTuber's Life, which is... Ah, um, uh, that game looks, I'm looking, I want to get that game. It looks very interesting. <laughs> yeah, right? And and that's more, yeah. that's that's not really nostalgic. It, it kind of, you know, it takes mechanics, or, you know, you know, some obviously proven mechanics, but applies it to a situation and genre that's, or, you know, a topic that's kind of more, more current. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm looking at the sales and I'm like, wow, you know, and it's, it's, it's going to be like goat simulator where, right. <laughs> where, you know, like even, even the goat simulator company, they, they worked on some serious games before, you know, like, mm -hmm. and then, then they released goat simulator and boom, right. It makes the whole company. So, so how do you, 
how do you, yeah, so how do you handle your kind of nostalgia versus kind of the fact that there's these huge underserved markets that, you know, people who've been in the industry don't really care about, but, but they're, they're willing to buy games, you know? Well, uh, my perspective and our kind of approach is that uh, for an indie developer, you know, you don't aim for a hit. You aim for <laughs> selling and being able to make a living off of this. That's what most of the developers want. Um, they just want to be able to live their life and do what they love at the same time. Now, yeah. it helps if you sell a million and your game just catches fire. Everyone, I mean, there's, you know, that, that story is a very sexy story. But um, for the most part, if you're a developing team of one to three people, uh, 80,000, 100,000 sales is enough to keep an entire team like that going for a year or more. And, um, Oh, go ahead. Oh, well, what I was going to say is, but then when you talk about being a publisher, yes, it's they're, they're different dynamics, right? Because now you have to take a percentage or a cut, and then, and then Steam takes a cut, or the mobile platforms take a cut. And so I think, is there is there more of a focus on, okay, is this going to have commercial success? Or do you feel that, you know what, just let the developers develop what they want to develop and see where the cards fall? At this point, it's the latter. Like, we do not have a hand in the design. We, we help pick games, we pick games that we're going to support, generally PC, uh, indie type titles. We don't go for mobile. We don't go for, um, console yet. Uh, we target just PC, Steam, Mac, if you can get it. Um, those are, those are great because I, you know, I own a Mac laptop and like playing these games on a Mac laptop when I can. But I prefer it on my PC desktop. Um, but uh, when we come out to to help a title, yeah, we do take a percentage. It's uh, ten to fifteen percent, depending, and um, we take it after Steam takes theirs. The, yeah. the well, that's um, surprisingly reasonable, actually. <laughs> well, we do it because again, uh, both my business partner and I do have another. Like, we have day jobs. Uh, so we do, we put all the time we can into the indie game. Um, and our method is if we get uh, several games, then we're making a, enough of a percentage off all those games to actually keep us going. Um, and if a game is a hit, then we, we actually get enough for us to do really well. Uh, but that's the if. Um, but if we're selling, um, like in the year we're, we're on contract with the game, if the game sells like 60,000 copies, that's actually not too bad for us. It keeps us going for another year and uh, at, the, at the reduced rates we're taking. And it just keeps a lot, it allows us to keep going and keep going until one or more games sells just a little higher than average. Okay. And that's kind of what you want to do. Because like you just said, a game company can go for years and make tons of games and then they have that one that's just a strange strange hit yeah and and i feel like you know and i don't even i don't i don't know some developers just don't care and some developers you know it it would be cool like because i'm thinking about youtubers life i'm like wow you know that's, that's mm -hmm. that seems like a fun game and yeah and yet at least on this show the people that i've talked to they're more into the nostalgia type games it's like these are the games that i played as a kid and these are the games that i wish we had like, right. Where, where's that coming from? Like, what? <laughs> is, and and I had this discussion before, and I think maybe it's just that um, it's kind of like thirty years ago that 
the the adults of that generation loved cars because that's what they had as yeah right you know and so maybe that's where it's coming from i don't know i mean i mean do you feel way more satisfied when you play those those types of games versus say something like youtuber's life well it's interesting i mean i want to play youtuber's life because i wound up playing a lot of sim games i I, oh yeah okay well the sim games i wound up playing were really like um sim theme park way back in the day and then or sorry just I think it was just Theme Park, and then by Bullfrog, and then Roller Coaster Tycoon. And that kind of has opened me up into a variety of sim titles, including like everywhere from The Sims to things like um, the, the YouTuber's Life. Like That's the kind of stuff that interests me. Okay. Uh, now, adventure games-wise, that was my like the, the passion games that I played, like from Infocom to Sierra to Lucas. Um, even the adventure company, and then now there's just been this explosion of really artistic and beautiful uh, adventure games, and um, both episodic and full-fledged titles that I've really been enjoying. Yeah, um, and and so you're actually looking to publish adventure games now because it sounds it sounds or yeah, it's okay. adventure games. I like RPG. Uh, Zavix Tower is a bit of a throwback to the old Bard's Tale game, which I also grew up playing and really enjoyed. And it's kind of got a RPG feel mixed in with a dungeon crawler uh, like Diablo. And that combo is is something that really interests me. I like the turn-based, party-based feel of ex- and then exploring a procedurally generated dungeon and running into monsters. That's that's just something I, I enjoy. Uh, but it is very retro and less adventure. Venture Fourth is a little bit more adventure, a little bit more of a Zelda, uh, like Metroidvania kind of feel. And um, that also, while not specifically the story-driven adventure that I personally like, it's close enough to where I, it's a game I enjoy. And that's an important thing when we consider uh, something we publish. Okay. And, and do you feel that some of these genres, because, you know, people have said, like, why did the adventure game genre kind of die out for a little bit or you know it died out at least that's what people said do you feel that uh, do, do you have any suggest or any insights on that i mean like, like why would adventures make a comeback now adventure games well i do think that you're absolutely right i, I think there was like a, a generational drawback uh, people remembered as a kid and then it was vacant for a while and then those people who liked playing them as a kid uh, decided to make games like that. And so there was probably a five to ten year gap where that was the case. Now, in terms of it going away, I mean, I specifically remember while everyone loved the game Mist, that's kind of the one that oh, yeah. ended the run. Um, oh, really? Because, okay. yeah, like after Mist and Mist 2, um, which were such a divert, like they stepped away from the traditional um, the adventure game uh, oh, formula. And they did very different thing, and I, I think, I, I don't know, it just kind of ended the the run of LucasArts and started something new, which never really caught on. And then you had that kind of mess in the late 90s and mid-90s of uh, video in games, which made things look really cheesy after a while. <laughs> and, of, well, yeah. you know, Mist was, wasn't that, that was by Sierra, right, I think? Oh gosh, uh, I wish they could remember. Because, because the reason I ask is because, because I know there was like you know there because there's mist and that was more serious and then there was like these escape from Monkey Islands and and mm-hmm. um, I don't know some other ones, but I guess what and and was it mist that you felt 
is is the compelling adventure game, or did you like the adventure Escape from Monkey Island type type adventure games? Well, my my favorite one is uh, the Secret of Monkey Island Two. I just okay. love that whole story. <laughs> I mean, I do like the ones after that. Um, there, I like the the cleverness and the humor. Miss did not have much humor, uh, yeah. and oh, I just looked it up by the way. Cyan Inc. and Broder Bun. Oh yeah, so, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, Miss was a much more serious, much more ethereal feel. So you would you were walking around and you were completely alone, and there was nothing there um, that felt a little like Zork, but Zork also had a, a lot of humor uh, embedded in it. Um, but yeah, this one you're just kind of abandoned and you're wandering around trying to find things and and solve puzzles, and that that it had a very less it had a less friendly approach, but of like the the graphics were gorgeous, and yeah. uh, I think that just kind of caused people to realize what could what's the possibility what are the possibilities with 3D uh, art. And you know, actually, to be fair. Um... You know, the, these adventure games haven't necessarily gone away. It's just that, first of all, there's a different demographic that plays them. Like, I, I, would, I talked to someone on the show who did, um, I think, like, Mystery Man, or I don't know, some kind of mystery-type game. He put it on mobile. Mm-hmm. He sold several million copies. And it was, it was, it was a, like an adventure mystery puzzle-type game. Yeah, and it's not. I mean, it, it. I don't. It was definitely not kind of the the retro gamers playing it. It was you know, um, casual gamers, you know, soccer moms who who bought that and and played it. So maybe the adventure game is alive. It's just not in in the in the venue of of the retro gamers. You know, the the typical like male person who's playing Steam and, and so. And you may have yeah. a better understanding of that than me. It's not. Well, and again, the the definition of adventure games has has also kind of expanded yeah. and been very. Uh, it's just all over the place. Like like yeah, uh, games like Arkham. Ex- yeah, the Arkham games, the Batman Arkham games. Yeah. Those can be called adventure games. They're they're platformer slash it slash adventure. They've got puzzling aspects and action aspects. Yeah, it's um, like a, an action adventure. I mean, yeah. It seems like the technology has kind of, um, re- you know, like like kind of required or, or allowed people who were doing potentially adventure games to expand what that is. You know, it's more of an exploration. It's it's a sim slash. You know, it can it can be a mix of these things. And mm-hmm. and I guess when you're thinking about potentially finding some adventure game to publish, do you look for that retro feel or are you looking for maybe even some of these newer types of possibilities now that you can do like 3D exploration and stuff like that? Honestly, it's what's it's what's out there. Um, I mean, there's a lot of indies, but the publisher involvement in an indie does not, is, is not the norm yet, unless you're talking yeah. about you know, Square Enix, who has their, their um, indie platform that they taken indies and um, Xbox does it and um, Sony does it uh, and Nintendo even they they get they have their own little indie publishing sections uh, which you know even if you if you go in there you are dealing with a publisher someone who helps you with distribution and marketing um, but the idea of uh, a publisher that does not have a known name um, yeah. that makes it a little more difficult so so how do you find uh, developers to potentially just walking around and, and talking, honestly, um, 
like at the at E3 at GDC. I met uh, Chris at GDC, who's doing Zavix Tower. Oh, okay. um, uh, my business partner Colin met Arthur and Jerem, uh, Jeremy. Arthur did reassembly. Jeremy's doing uh, Venture Fourth. Um, so we just kind of meet meet folks, uh, and eventually maybe we get to the point where folks are contacting us. But um, well, until you, that moment, how do you convince them to go with you? Like, what what do you offer that says, you know what? Okay, I'm willing to give ten or fifteen percent. Well, uh, what you Fine. And what the kind of people we've found are the people who've been um, making games on their own dime or making a single game on their own dime for a while and they're realizing that their money's running out. Um, and we fill gaps in uh, specialty. So if you have an indie team of like one to three people, there's a really solid chance you're not going to have the time or the um, ability to market yourself, to contact people, to um, focus on social networking. Uh, and you may not be as good at social networking as someone else. Now, yeah. some developers are totally comfortable and confident in their ability to go get their game out there. They're hooked up with all the all the industry folks. And by industry f- folks, I just mean other indie developers. And one indie, de- indie dev can support another, and that's how you get your name out there. Um, but in the end, only... Only a few, a small percentage of indie games wind up being on everybody's radar. And so all the other ones just have to find their their market. And so as a publisher, we help you find your market. We help you try to get um, a good number of followers and people who will like your game. Uh, that's what we specifically go after. Hey, uh, that person likes game A. That game is very similar to your game, so we're going to contact them. Uh, and even though they're... Uh, the, the, the niches are small, um, a game player will continue to play games. Uh, they're not going to just play the same one over and over again. Like uh, uh, the smaller mobile titles, that's the case, but um, a PC gamer or a console gamer is going to constantly be looking for new content. And just being able to put another game out there in that uh, niche that they like, they're willing, they'll be wanting to buy it. They'll be wanting to look for it. And... Um... Can you talk about maybe the results or um, that you've had with you know the first game that you that you helped publish? Of course. Um, now one of the, right? the other reassembly, correct? Now the other thing we do help with is is uh, fundraising. We have used Kickstarter, and that is on its own a very scary and tough thing yeah, to do. It it's not. It's very not as stressful. As, yeah. Um, and so just having help, uh, being able to at least have some way to step away from the Kickstarter and focus on making your game or focus on talking to your uh, fans. Um, That's very helpful. Having someone to just talk to in that period is very helpful. And we help write copy and make your your, uh, copy, copy kind of clever and fun. And if you're not the best writer, then we can help with that. If you are a good writer, then we'll just st- step away. Um, we want you guys to, or we want game devs to go to their strengths, and we will help everywhere else. Uh, so if you need an artist or something like that, we will go help you find one. We will help you hire to fill your gaps and finish the game the way your vision intended. 
And oh, sorry, I got uh, off on a tangent. Oh, yeah. So reassembly, we did Kickstarter, <laughs> okay. and uh, yeah, it we barely made it. We well, actually, we had a uh, we asked for twenty seven, we got thirty two thousand, um, and it was just a very good, very steady um, Kickstarter. And from the beginning, we could tell it was going to be close. And it was just nerve-wracking the entire time. And finally, in the last week, we went over and everybody breathed a big sigh of relief. Um, and the rest of the time, uh, Arthur just spent focusing on his development. Uh, Colin and I helped fulfill some of the rewards. Um, and that's an important part, getting the rewards out there, um, making sure people are happy, making sure Arthur keeps touching base with us to get to his promised delivery date um, and he managed to hit that really nicely and um, kept supporting the game which is also very important for the next uh, year very solidly uh, communicating with, with the fans and we help again communicating with fans we help making sure people know what big things are coming soon um, and getting marketing out there uh, and that's really, I guess that's summing it up, but there was an awful lot of work behind that. Yeah. And then, and, and is the game, where's the game available? A Steam. Uh, okay. You can find Reassembly on Steam. Occasionally it'll pop up in a Humble Bundle. Um, Did you look at three. other distribution venues too, or do you feel that Steam is, is the main distribution venue now? Um, for it is the it is certainly the main one for uh, if you want to have a successful indie game, this is the main one to go to. There are plenty of other distribution venues, and uh, you go to them pretty much. Uh, you can contact them uh, first and go there, but a lot of times they're just going to come to you. Like Humble Bundle will, will approach you and say, oh, we want your game in a bundle, and you say yes or no. Um, and we just help develop uh, uh, kind of like we have some contacts there now that we've been talking to because of reassembly. Yeah. Um, we have people we've contacted um, for writing articles and blogging and that kind of thing. And I don't know, giving, giving uh, independent uh, podcasters and YouTubers and, and game players additional content is, you know, they're looking for new content. We're looking to get our content out there. So we think that's a win-win uh, for everybody. And and where do you see as a publisher, and you know, you have a different perspective than you know indie developers. Where do you see the market going, and and I guess the role that publishers and and indie developers will have in the industry. Well, I think it's going to grow mostly because the um, indie game field is just be becoming so competitive. Uh, developers who are leaving school are now leaving school with the kind of uh, experience and talent that it used to take years to get yeah. in the industry, um, hopping from company to company. But yeah, now they're coming out with the ability to just a, a few of them make a very nice looking indie game in a relatively short period of time. And you're competing, dep like depending on who you are, if you're one of them, you don't have a very long money runway to get a game out. And once you get the game out, if it does doesn't succeed, you're kind of screwed. You gotta find a, a, another job. Um, if you had another job, and this is where Arthur uh, with Reassembly came from, he left his job to do his game uh, and spent three years doing so. Now, you know, he worked at NVIDIA. He's a very talented programmer. 
so he he managed to get that runway and um those are kind of the two different options you have i guess you can do it as a, a side job but the publishers are going to be helping all three of those different types of people yeah the young people who who don't have um much money to deal with and therefore have to get something out there soon and they can get a good game and that makes it a little easier on that side but you still have uh to get them funding to be able to to survive and actually finish their game then you got the experienced people who have a little bit of money but don't have the game industry experience and so you bring to them experience uh, ability to contact other people in the industry and get the word out that way um and then the the part timers that uh really comes down to um helping them with uh it's a similar lack of experience but managing their time making sure that their 10 hours or 20 hours a week that they can dedicate to the game is spent as efficiently as possible that it, you help them by hiring other people to help them um like artists and developers, so that they can move more quickly than they would have otherwise. They might have more funds uh, out out of the gate than other folks because they have a constant income. Um, okay. And all that is necessary because a, a Kickstarter is not a hundred percent. Yeah, and and in the pre-interview, you kind of mentioned that mobile was super competitive, and, and and so what what do you feel that Steam is going to go the same way? Like, like, I don't do you... think so. Okay, go ahead. Um, actually, I think mobile is going to come around a little bit, but uh, mobile is extremely competitive because there are a top 10 to 20 games that are just hoarding a lot of the money. Uh, and then they're throwing millions out there in advertising. And like literally millions. When yeah. As soon as they started advertising during the Super Bowl, I was like, oh, it's over. <laughs> um, and, but... But there have been indie games that have gone to the top sometimes. Yes. To be fair, yes. I always see them in the free chart. Like, I don't know. I mean, so. Uh, and that is good. Like, Flappy Bird, of course, was an indie game that did yeah. that made a huge splash and then was instantly copied a million times over. Um, but it's such a rarity for an indie game to make it there. And um, for another game, let's just say even, even a non-indie game, it's just a crapshoot because you're going up against advertising that's just taking over every channel. Your players generally will play the same game over and over and over again. Um, the casual market, like I, when I'm on the bus or the train and I see people playing and they're still playing Candy Crush, yeah, um, that's, that's when I'm, I'm thinking, well, how is anyone else going to get out there? People are just stuck on Candy Crush forever. You know, it's just a time waster. It's just something to spend your five to ten minutes on as you go from place to place but so, so, there's, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say there's a newer generation of people that have been growing up with this that are more interested in playing a whole bunch of games on their phone and yeah. they spend more time and more and uh, give more attention to a variety of games so and, that's, that's why that's I think the younger generation though right like, correct yeah and that's, that's why I think I and that's why I think it's heading towards Steam rather than the other way around. Um, it's you're going to get that that traditional gamer who gets more in-depth, hardcore titles on their phone, and um, Steam again never has to worry about people playing this exact same over and over, exact same game over and over and over again. 
because they want to go out and buy new titles and be up to date on the coolest, yeah. latest thing. And, and an example, I guess, is YouTuber's Life, where they could charge fourteen ninety nine yeah. on Steam versus if they put it on mobile, the expectation would have been ninety nine cents or something. And oh yeah, if even if that, that, right? And and I guess the one benefit someone else pointed this out in an interview is that even if they even if they don't even care about Steam, if they put it as fourteen ninety nine on Steam, they can say on mobile four ninety nine, and it and it legitimizes the price. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what Goat Simulator did, where they actually yeah. had a high price on Steam, and then it's like, oh well, four ninety nine, even though it seemed ridiculous. Like mm-hmm. if you look at it from the context of wow, this is a discount on their Steam thing, then it's a pretty good deal. So well. And the big, the the biggest success in that regard was Minecraft. Um, they yeah. were one of the only money games, like paid upfront games, that was even on the top hundred charts for a very long time in ter- in terms of earnings. And uh, like you say, others pop in and out, but that one was yeah. kind of a mainstay. And and so, but but with mobile. Like you said, there is that younger generation, and that younger generation is also watching YouTube and some of these other venues where mm-hmm. it's not going to be money that buys their attention necessarily at this point. It may change completely. But, I think you're right. And and so so there is a gap then. You're saying. I mean, it, I mean, so there is a gap in the market where you can reach the younger generation on mobile, and and you could potentially do that without having to spend millions of dollars. I think so. Okay. I do think so. But yeah, the older generation, I, I can see what you're saying, saying about Candy Crush. Like they're, that's it. Like that's their entertainment, and mm-hmm. it works. And and but but obviously there have been some exceptions to that, and that's you know like Clash Royale or whatever it is. I mean, I know that's that's from the Clash of Clans people, and so in that way they got exposure. But. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess I guess you're right. I mean, there are. I guess if you want to reach hardcore gamers, you're you're saying Steam is is the best way to do that. Then it is, and it's also one of those marketplaces where everybody can get on that front page. But see, what about the the casual gamer, like the soccer moms? And the reason I ask this is because you know you mentioned being in the industry for a while, and. Mm-hmm. You, you see trends emerge over and over again, just in different ways. So, for mm-hmm. example, um, I don't know if you remember Real Arcade or, or something like that, where they were actually like, they were publishing indie, kind of like indie hidden object game titles and mm-hmm. some of these other titles. Um, and it was kind of like what Steam is to, to the hardcore gamer. This was, it was the same thing to the casual gamer. Right. Until, until it got disrupted by social games on Facebook. But, yeah. Um, this but but in that case it was you know these these casual gamers were willing to buy new hidden object games like every week and yet that's true and yet you're saying that it's not happening anymore so what why do you think that is i mean (laughs) well uh one of the differences now uh, as opposed to then was um back then you bought a game and you and it was that was it you would finish your game or you'd play it until you were bored and then you'd get a new one uh now i go and i pick up my mobile phone or even on Facebook and do the same game on both both devices. Uh, and oh, in fact, I was playing a hidden object game, like uh, Criminal Case. Oh, yeah. uh, okay. That game has never-ending content. So Yeah, that's what I was going to mention is that now it's games <clears> as a service. <throat> and so once they get that player, they just keep on putting out new content every week. 
you're just going to buy mm-hmm. it from that versus right. before where that was not necessarily easy to do even technically. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so that's, I guess that's the answer to that. <laughs> right. um, yeah. So any other, any other, I guess, um, perspectives you want to add from the perspective of a publisher or any um, suggestions or insights you have, I guess, to where you feel the industry is going to be in the next two to three years? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, one thing I would say is regardless whether or not you'd come to Indie Voyage, um, don't close yourself off to the concept of a publisher uh, because they can help you in the ways that you're, you're weakest. Just recognize that as an indie game. I'm, I'm, I'm against that, honestly. Like, I'm going to argue. I think for the last part of this uh, segment, like once, once after this answer is done, I'm just going to argue. That's fine. <laughs> as, as in terms of like why I would actually want a publisher. Because okay. you know it's different. And, and so that'll be a good, good way to end off. Yeah. yeah, you can complete what you're going to say. Okay. Well, I appreciate that, by the way. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it helps us grow. It helps everyone, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the reason uh, you wouldn't just close yourself off is just understand your situation, understand where you are uh, financially, understand where you want to be financially, what you want out of your game, and just see whether or not your, your skill set, your friend's skill set, whoever's helping you, and the amount of time you have available, uh, and the amount of money it's all going to cost, uh, all adds up to you having a successful launch. Yeah. And if so, then yes, great. I, I think that I fully support that. If not, just, just see what's out there in terms of help. And um, yeah, then go from there. And, and you've been in the industry long enough where publishers were taking 60% or 40% or all these other things, and it was crazy. And I, and I guess, um, and it wasn't necessarily clear that they were actually helping. But I think that's changed. I mean, developers have gotten more savvy. But, but the real question is, is you know, what is the benefit of a publisher at this point. Like for me, let's say that I, I've got a game and I'm, up, and I'm about to publish it and I'm going to just think of the game that I'm working on right now. Okay. When I think about games and, and we talked about games as a service. I mean, basically, you need someone that, you know, if you have a hit, it, it'll become a service and you're just going to release content all the time. And at that time, is it really going to be the publisher that that helps you do that. I mean, because they, they can maybe get you that the audience at first. And even that's kind of questionable because as you said, there are segments of the audience that don't respond to traditional ways that you would reach out, whether it's, you know, contacting podcasters, you talk about indie YouTubers, you know, that's, that's a more legitimate way now for reaching certain audiences. And, and it doesn't, you don't need to be a publisher to reach out to those YouTubers. In fact, Correct. If you're an indie developer, they may even give you more. Legit, they may treat you in earnest more so than than if you were a publisher or someone official. And that's absolutely true. Um, both of those things. But yeah. a lot of times, uh, and this is again not for everybody. Yeah. No. It's. I'm. But, I'm just pushing but, back because you know we can. I don't want to be polite, and then no one gets anything out of this interview. No, you're right. <laughs> I guess what I'm what I'm saying is that if you're not one of those people who yeah. and uh, again, we work with people who don't have those uh, have the time or the ability yeah. to go out and email and and do web searches and find dozens and dozens and dozens of websites that kind of fit their genre. Um, it isn't now. I mean, 
just to say it up front, it's not all that difficult. It it really doesn't yeah. take that much but you, effort. But you provide but accountability, it, though, right? I mean, right. Um, we provide. Yeah. yeah if uh, and also we're kind of tied at the hip. Like if we don't get do our job to get the game out there, uh, we don't make any money. So that's kind of what our driving force is. We want to make sure that the game gets out there to the right audience. We want to spend as little as possible to make that happen. Um, because one, it's, it, it's, if you spend $10 to get $1 worth of play back, that's just kind of a, yeah. th- that's not a good uh, sign. And if the developer is doing that on their own, then they're totally digging into their own pockets. Um, so that's, that's the thing you want to play is, do you want someone to help who can get you to that point where you've earned enough money to make a living, or are you confident you can do that yourself? And a lot of people always want 100% of nothing. And, and I've been there too. Where you think like, you know, like, you know, what, what if you gave away, would you rather have 90% of $10 million or 100% of nothing? Exactly. You know, and, uh, and I think, I mean, it's, but it's a hard thing. And, and the other thing I'm going to push back on is, you know, we've seen even in the past five years, the technology and a lot of these other things have changed significantly. And, and some of the techniques that you're talking about they are kind of new, but some of them are traditional approaches. And so as a, as a developer, do the publishers get in the way if they don't keep up on a lot of these new trends or techniques or even try to pioneer the trends and techniques that will give your game that exposure that people couldn't anticipate before? And so, for example, Twitch TV, Twitch.tv, which maybe wasn't even here five years ago. Right. But for some games now, it's, it gave them the chance. Now, the game had to be good, of course, but it gave them a chance. And same with these YouTubers, where, you know, um, you, you mentioned Flappy Birds. Um, the reason why it went up there was because of PewDiePie covering it. Mm-hmm. Because it was on the App Store for eight months before that or something like that, and, and no one cared. And, and yet, it wasn't a publisher that found that new mechanism for distribution. It was, you know, I guess dumb luck. I don't know. Like... like <laughs> You know, and so what are your thoughts on that? Um, honestly, dumb luck is one of the driving forces to having a game that, that sells a lot. Yeah, and, exactly. And so, so then why should a public, why should you deal with the publisher in that case? It's about in, increasing your odds. Okay. Um, yeah. More than anything, it's just loading the dice in your favor as much as humanly possible to get to that point. Yeah. So it's just, it's raising the probability of success. Exactly, and that's what it comes down to. Um, okay. You look at you look at what you have, and if you need more, that's when you go look. Okay, and where can listeners find out more information about your um, publishing services if they want to? Um, we are at www.indie.voyage um, on Twitter. We're at Indie Voyage. Me, I'm at Indie Voyage Rob. My Steam handle is also Indie Voyage Rob. So, I mean, feel free to ask questions. Feel free to make fun of me or whatever you want to do. I'm I'm happy to respond. Okay, cool. Um, thanks again for your time and your feedback and insights on the industry. So. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. This was this was a lot of fun. Cool. Take care. Bye. Right. Bye.